0: Leadership has always been seen as a desirable trait, whether it be in war, sports, or, of course, in the workplace. There's never one definitive way to effectively lead a group of people, but certain styles tend to work better. Of course, it's always depending on that specific situation. Now, the idea of high-quality leadership does continue to evolve in the workplace for a variety of reasons.
1: I mean, let's face it, companies spend a lot of money on hiring the right people, and The way you can get the best, I mean, you're paying for that knowledge and expertise. Leaders really have to step out of the way and let people do what what it is they do best.
0: Hello again, I'm Tim Buma. Thanks for checking out Moving Up the Ladder on LJN Radio. Today we're speaking with Carol Valone-Mitchell. She's the co-founder of Talent Strategy Partners and author of Breaking Through Bitch, How Women Can Shatter Stereotypes and Lead Fearlessly. Carol has two decades of leadership development experience, and she's here to break down the keys to influential leadership. Thanks for coming on the show today, Carol. I'm
1: delighted to be with you. Thanks.
0: Let's go ahead and start off with the concept of, when we're talking about leadership, of course, authority versus influence. How would you, if you could, break down the difference in a way that people can understand that, you know, these are two different approaches that managers can take?
1: Authority is what we have traditionally thought of as something that people exercise when they're in a command and control kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So by exercising your authority, you are using your, your position of power to direct people and have people take action. Mm-hmm. When you're using influence, it's more of a collaborative approach where you are working with individuals to develop a plan and then they take action. And in fact, it's something that they've referred to as soft power. In fact, it can be more powerful than the harder power of just exercising your hierarchical authority.
0: Well, and I think for anyone who's paid attention, and obviously we do a bunch of shows, it seems like there's been a shift toward that style of leadership, I guess you would phrase it. When did you start to see that or notice that as far as influence being more of a leadership style versus that control and command? Did you notice at a certain time period? Did you see any reasons why? I mean, what did you kind of see from your experience?
1: From my standpoint, I started to see a shift in the kind of leadership that was desirable probably in in the mid to early 2000s. And it was in conjunction, I think, with Organizations, particularly those who were in a mature phase of their growth, wanting to reinvent themselves, so hmm. there was a lot a lot of stuff out there about innovation. you know everyone wanted to be more innovative, right. and I think it came it may have actually come to a head during the financial crisis where it was pretty clear that this wasn't something that was happening and it was, everything was then going to go back to normal. People realized that it was a turning point and nothing was going back to, quote, normal, right. that business was not going to be the same. And people had to really look long and hard at their business strategy and take a new direction. And that requires innovation. And that then requires the kind of leadership that you can term soft power, influence, collaborative, you know, there are a variety of terms for it.
0: Sure. Do you see then the command and control style, the really hard authority or, you know, that top-down model um, that you said is very traditional, do you see that working at all anymore or does it have to be sort of a niche area? Or what do you think as far as utilizing that style still?
1: I mean, you know, there's situational leadership, right? In times of emergency crisis where you're taking a leadership role and decision-making and actions have to happen fast, Mm -hmm. you can imagine that that would be really the most appropriate way of handling the situation. You're in an authority role. People are looking to you and you're like, okay, right, you do this, you do this, you do this. Right. I think that there are specific ways that that works.
0: If we shift gears then to the influential style of leadership, which, you know, again, we're looking at it more of kind of that consistent day-to-day approach versus what you just mentioned, the uh, situational uh, leadership. What are the most beneficial aspects to utilizing that influential style that is different from the authority way of thinking?
1: I mean, let's face it. Companies spend a lot of money on hiring the right people mm-hmm. and the way you can get the best i mean you're paying for that knowledge and expertise leaders really have to step out of the way and let people do what what it is they do best so the advantage of an influential leadership style is that it really opens up the ability for people to you know to have an opinion mm-hmm. to feel comfortable being able to make those suggestions, you know, it's it's something that when you're in a command and control situation, you're a little bit risk averse. You don't want to necessarily stick your neck out, but whereas when you're in this more collaborative leadership style environment, there's just more of a a trust that you're there to contribute and that you have a say in how you think you can best contribute.
0: Now, some have argued with the idea of just the influential style, and you even alluded to it there, uh, soft power, calling it that. that some people do say, well, that's not for me, that it, it is too soft, that you don't have that like true leadership quality like people think of, uh, say, assertiveness. Uh, that's a po- uh, kind of common right. word that people talk about. What's your response to people who feel that way or believe that that type of thing or, or authority is necessary for true leadership?
1: One of the things, and and again, this gets back to the evolution of what companies saw as good leadership, there certainly was a point in time when collaborative leadership was seen as laissez-faire, a person gathering input and talking about something before making a decision was maybe considered indecisive, but the attitude has changed. So collaborative leadership style is seen as being effective. Now, if you get into the whole gender dynamic, when you look at male and female leaders, for women typically to be a successful leader, the most successful women leaders have a collaborative, inclusive, leadership style. So they do engage people in problem solving. Mm. The buck would stop there. You know, the buck stops here. It's my responsibility and my, my decision to be made. But they are gathering the input and involving people in the process. And that is seen as a positive thing now. Although there are some remnants of what's wrong? Can't she make a decision herself, (laughs) for example, right? (laughs) You'll you'll still get pockets of that. But I think the good news is that where we are today, there is a a recognition of how powerful a collaborative, democratic type of leadership can be. Mm -hmm. And so that's good news for women, because women have traditionally had a very hard time exercising their authority or putting their foot down, so to speak, because there are tons of negative labels for a woman that does that. So they really haven't had the choice traditionally to do that and be seen as as effective.
0: Right. Well, I'm glad you brought up that aspect of it because it is uh, a fact that, uh, you know, gender does play a role, whether you said, you know, it could be the perspective of people and, and how they perceive that leader. For women, then, when we're talking about this influential style, do you see it more as the Style change and allowed women to sort of take on those roles, or did you do you see women as actually being able to influence the change that has occurred, even if they weren't in a leadership position maybe as an employee and and being able to come across as hey, this works, you don't have to be this way again, from your experiences that you've had, what was sort of the change, the transition, which kind of came first, if you will,
1: the chicken or the egg yeah I didn't <laughs> want to
0: go there, I didn't want to be all cliche no, it with really... it but
1: No, seriously, it's, you know, it is difficult because clearly one of the mantras. For supporting developing women leaders and and getting more women into leadership is recognition that it will necessarily change the culture Mm -hmm. of the organization. There's also a lot of discussion about boards that have more diversity. In fact, the companies that have more diverse boards outperform their competitors. And there's also data around the fact that you have to have three or more women on a board for it to make a difference. Hmm. So going back to leadership down in, you know, the executive levels of a company or even middle management, you necessarily have to have a critical mass in order to really get a culture change. But then again, you know, if you get a little bit going, the right culture then can't you'll find that more women will emerge into leadership because their style is recognized as being the most effective in that environment. Mm-hmm. It is a chicken and an egg thing <laughs> it really is I, I you know I don't know quite how else to unpack right. it.
0: <laughs> no, I think I just need to find a different uh, phrase because chicken or the egg is so uh so overused, but hey it does fit in the situation
1: it does it does. <laughs>
0: Now, you did note uh, three key elements when it comes to excelling in leadership, uh, particularly with the influential style, but uh, as you mentioned, it can be to assess any leader. And the first one had to do with persuading up, as you put it. What does that entail? How can leaders be effective in persuading up?
1: I can speak to this specifically for the research that I did for looking at men and women. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting, first of all, women tend to need more skill in persuading up. It's a critical, critical competency for advancement. Mm -hmm. If you think about persuasion, you're really pushing for, you know, your agenda, you're pushing your idea and trying to get that other person to accept it. In this case, somebody who has more power than you do in the organization. So one of the things that I learned from watching how women do this is that they do research ahead of time. They know what the what the real burning passion and value is right. of their audience and they relate to it and they hook into it. So they're really appealing to we both care passionately about this result, you know, in that way they are collaborating with the person rather than trying to overpower them. Sure. You know, that's the equation there. Men, when you think about looking at male executives, they will tend to appeal personally to individuals. If they're trying to push something forward in the executive team, they're not the CEO, but they'll go around to their colleagues individually and, you know, go out to dinner or whatever in a casual setting. And they'll talk about the reasons why they think it's important, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily try to hook into the emotional piece on the other side. So they don't they don't tend to appeal to that other person in terms of their their values and you know what their passion is like right. jim i really know that you care about this and sort of do the pitch that way they tend to pitch from their perspective for a woman it's most effective if the person on the other side of that persuasion equation feels like they're together on it rather than the woman trying to assert and overpower if you will mm-hmm. the individual she's trying to influence. And it's interesting because in my research, I've also kind of gone back and talked to male executives about this. You know, I had an executive coach, uh, male, who said, you know, I think that this is a really great way of persuading, you know, this sort of emotional connection, but I think it would look different if a man is doing it effectively versus how a woman does it effectively, because there is a difference, right? Right. So I haven't done enough research to be able to say, oh, and this is how how men do that, (laughs) but there's certainly something there to research further.
0: I wanted to quick jump to the third element, just we're getting a little low on time, um, and that's the idea of strategic control. At least that was the phrase that was used in the, an article that you wrote there. The idea of control is interesting because that sounds like an authoritative trait. That sounds like kind of the, the old school tradition. How is it different, though, when you're talking about the influential style and still having control as a leader?
1: This is a strategic delegation where what's different is that you are making sure that the person you're delegating to understands the higher level, what it is, what's the what's the key objective and outcome that you're looking for. And oh, by the way, there are some ways you might go about this. But what they're doing is giving the person enough information that that person can make their own decisions. They can work in their own comfortable style. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, as an executive who's delegated this, I find ways to check in and make sure that I'm on top of what's happening. So it's control Without the pressure, if you will. Okay. It's taking control without taking control. Right. It's just structured in a way that the person you've delegated to feels, again, like you're just watching their back.
0: Sure. Right.
1: And helping to facilitate and move obstacles out of the way. I mean, you could say, well, isn't that just good delegation? And I would say, yeah, you're right. But often (laughs) it doesn't happen that way.
0: Right. No, it is fascinating because, uh, you know, as a leader, obviously you're still the one that's, uh, going to be accountable for everything. So you do need to have some sort of control, if you will, or maybe we can find a better term. But it definitely seems like something that would be a challenge for a lot of people if they're not used to that way of thinking. So I appreciate you bringing that to the forefront. As I said, we are up against the clock here. I think you've given us some very interesting perspectives on the idea of leadership as a whole and obviously the thought of influential leadership. If you could, maybe 30 seconds here, what would you want to leave the listeners with as far as any idea you want to run with when it comes to influential leadership?
1: I think a big headline that maybe I haven't pressed on enough is it's around engaging people. When you're engaging people, they want to support your objectives. That is probably one of the strongest ways of influencing people. When they get excited about what it is you're trying to do, they feel a part of the team. That engagement is a very, very powerful way of increasing your power and using your power effectively.
0: I think that's a perfect way to punctuate this conversation today. Carol, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Tim. Thanks for having me.
0: That will do it for us here on this edition of Moving Up the Ladder. Again, we'd like to thank Carol Vallone-Mitchell for joining us today. She's the co-founder of Talent Strategy Partners and author of Breaking Through Bitch, How Women Can Shatter Stereotypes and Lead Fearlessly. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this or any of our shows, send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can reach us on Twitter at the LJN. And you can find all of our shows on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio in the iTunes Store. Thanks once again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.